0: Reading for today is from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through
1: 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to the god to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting to one another out of reverence for christ this is the word of god you may be seated whoops sorry nick <laughs> thank you nick all right before we get to uh, the text in ephesians 5 uh Something else we need to do this morning, again, if you've brought caffeine, maybe take a sip. Um, This announcement that I'm about to um, read from is is being made in all the Redemption congregations this morning. In 2015, Sean Mortensen was sent by Redemption Arcadia with the support of Redemption's overall leadership team to plant a new congregation in South Scottsdale. Since that time, Redemption Scottsdale has developed into a self-sustaining congregation meeting on the campus of Scottsdale Presbyterian Church. In January of this year, Sean expressed to the Redemption leadership team that he was having doubts about whether he and Redemption Scottsdale were best fit to remain in the Redemption family. Redemption's culture and leadership style made Sean question the fit. The leadership team appreciated Sean's honesty and spent the next several months working to understand his thinking and concerns, hoping that Redemption Scottsdale would remain in Redemption. The current diversity within Redemption congregations and leadership is beautiful and beneficial, and we hope that Redemption Scottsdale remaining in the family would be mutually valuable. Over the course of many conversations, however, it became clear that Sean's doubts and differences, which are sincere, thoughtful, and nuanced, were important enough to him that continuing in Redemption would be unhelpful and overly difficult for the mission of both Scottsdale and Redemption. Thus, the leadership team made the decision to re- release Sean and Redemption Scottsdale from the Redemption family, allowing them to continue their mission to South Scottsdale as an anonymous—I'm uh, sorry—an an autonomous local church. That's a big difference in wording there. I want to point out. As an autonomous. <laughs> We don't want to be anonymous, okay? <laughs> Effective August 20th, 2018. We, the leadership team of Redemption Church, with Sean and the people of Redemption Scottsdale God's best as they continue to work to be a faithful presence of Jesus in that community. We will continue to pray for the congregation, knowing that our lives and ministries will continue to overlap as we work together with others to spread the good news of Jesus in Arizona. Uh, now, a couple things before we go on. Uh, we know that for some of you, this may generate some further questions, and we're certainly really open to those questions. Um, you can contact uh, the elders or the pastors. Go online to our website, and you can find our emails, and and you can do that. And we can have coffee with you if you have further questions about that. Um, that does that is, however, I've I've been involved in in most of these conversations. I'm part of the leadership team, and that's it's a pretty good summary of everything that's happening. If you want to go deeper, though, we're certainly open to that and and would be happy to do that. Um, The other thing I would say is that it's always awkward to try to plan for an announcement like this in a service. Um, This is actually the most efficient way to get information to people. Everybody's on social media, I know, but we also have ways of avoiding uh, messages that you need to see, and so we had to do this during the service on Sunday morning and we know it's awkward and challenging and, and and we know that because one of the longest conversations our staff had this week was where in the service to put this so it isn't very disruptive <laughs> and there is no place. It's going to be a little bit disruptive and so we chose here. And so now what I'm going to ask you to do is to um, pray and try to by the power of the Holy Spirit, try to transition into the message, which is very important. Put this aside for now. You can think about it later, and and let's get into uh, the message. So uh, try to transition into that now as we pray together. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we do wish uh, Sean and Redemption Scottsdale the best, and uh, what a great part of redemption they have been, and we're thankful for that. Sean was a big part of Arcadia for a number of years, and again, we're thankful for that. And the, the mission and ministry they're doing in Scottsdale is wonderful. And we just pray your blessing on them. Uh, and as we move forward, we just pray that you would also bless us, uh, continue to strengthen us. And, and as we begin to uh, look at uh, this this long passage now uh, that we are getting into, to starting today with this transition, um, we ask that you would just open our hearts and our minds. There are some really important applications of the gospel these next five or six weeks uh, that we'll be dealing with, and we just pray that you would help us with that by the power of your spirit, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. So, as you heard me say in the prayer, the next five or six weeks is going to be sort of a running conversation, and so we would encourage you, one way or the other, we do have podcasts one way or the other, to stay up-to-date with the messages so that there aren't gaps in your understanding of what's going on. These next five or six weeks, I think it's six including today, are going to cover uh, Ephesians 5:15 through Ephesians 6, verse 9. And the seven verses that we look at today, 15 through 21, are a sort of transition text. Uh, Paul is wrapping up talking about the community life in the church, and he starts working toward talking about home life, but, but he, he pauses here to make sure that this discussion uh, not only looks back and talks about the church in this way, but also looks forward and talks about all these other contexts in this way, always by the filling and the guidance of the Holy Spirit at the forefront of everything. That is the key to this whole thing. So let's just dive right into uh, the text. Let me reread verses 15 through 17. Paul writes, Look carefully then at how you walk. How you walk is an ancient Greek colloquialism for how you live your life. So again, this is maybe the fourth or fifth time he's doing this. He's calling us back. He's saying, therefore, and he's calling us back to the idea that we are in the gospel. We are in Christ. And therefore, we have a call on our lives to be careful, to, to exercise caution, to, to look for wisdom in the midst of living this life. And he specifically says, don't walk as an unwise person. What's a, what is a synonym for unwise? It would be foolish. Don't walk as somebody who's foolish, but walk as somebody who is wise. Making the best use of this time, literally in the Greek, it's redeeming the time, living in victory during this time because the days are evil. Here you go. The world is a dark place. The world has issues and problems. And and by the way, that's not inviting a debate. That's just true. And I think we can all agree with that. And in order to navigate our way through this world, it is best done with wisdom and not foolishness. And that's what Paul is calling us to. And then he says... Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, wisdom is found in seeking after, understanding, and submitting yourself to the will of God, which we can find primarily in this book, but we also find it in community and in prayer and in teaching and in many different ways, but primarily in this book. And and Paul has set up a a, uh, sort of an either-or here. Unfortunately, I know a lot of people don't like either-ors, but this is an either-or here. There are essentially, uh, the psychologist Henry Cloud actually talks about this. There's essentially, there are essentially two types of people in this world. There are the wise and there are the foolish. The wise are defined by the fact that they adapt their lives to the will of God. The wise person, this is all over the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. The the, the wise person seeks after to understand the will of God and then submits to that will and adapts to what that will is. The foolish person, according to Henry Cloud, he says, here's what the foolish person does. This is everybody else. They want the world and everyone else to adapt to them and to submit to them. And we can dress that up with flowery language and... And, and talk about how, that, how that's not really what's happening. But in a sense, and in essence, if you're not submitting to the will of God, essentially you're asking everybody else to submit to your will. And that's probably not going to go very well. And that's what Paul is trying to instruct us in here. By the way, verses 15 through 18 in chapter 5 of Ephesians are the most like the book of Proverbs, the Old Testament book of Proverbs, that we find in Paul's letter to Ephesus. So there's a lot of this wisdom discussion here. And then there's verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is not a sudden, uh, oh, by the way, I just remembered I have to tell you something treatise from Paul about how you really shouldn't drink too much wine. I just remembered. I meant to tell you guys in Ephesus that. You have a big problem with that. This fits right in with the flow of what he's trying to get us to understand. Uh, Just take wine and substitute anything else that you are under the influence of, whether you realize it or not. It can be power. It can be status, education, wealth, lust, meth, cocaine, gossip, food, yourself. Anything that you have submitted yourself to and are obeying, whatever it is, whether it's something that really isn't a bad thing or is something that is terrible, whether, whatever it is, other than God If it holds influence in your life, this is his statement to not do that and rather submit your life to the Holy Spirit of God, to his wisdom and his guidance. Uh, Let me just ask you, here you go. We all obey something, every one of us. No, I'm my own person. I'm free. I don't obey anybody but myself. Okay, you all obey. We all obey something. So here's the question that Paul might be asking here. What is the operating system of our obedience? There is an operating system that every one of us has for our obedience to something. And that operating system is found in the influence of the things that we're submitting our lives to, that we're serving, that we're worshiping. We were created to worship. That worship has been corrupted by sin and the fall. We still nevertheless worship. Most of us struggle with worshiping the wrong things. That's false gods and idols. We talked a lot about that last week. And here's what's really interesting rhetorically. Ancient Jewish wisdom literature, of which Paul was thoroughly familiar as a former Pharisee, often spoke of wine drunkenness as a metaphor for the foolishness of submitting oneself to the influences of the world. Paul's using a common ancient metaphor there. So in verse 18, Paul is making this case Where do you go? Where do you look for? Where do you seek fulfillment, happiness, self-justification, or self-medication? What is it that you worship? What are you serving? What is it that you and I trust and obey? We all trust something. Another way to say this is, what are we controlled by? Because we all serve something. We're all controlled by something. And being under the influence of, of and subservient to anything other than the holy spirit and his wisdom is what paul calls debauchery now that word translated debauchery has as its root the ancient greek word sozo which means salvation that word in the ancient greek is then negated with a prefix so in other words it's if you submit your life to wine or any of these other things and not the Holy Spirit, the result is not saved, not redeemed, not living in victory. Some, some graphic image here that he uses. So again, think about last week, if you were here last week. I, here you go. It is not necessarily our behavior that is at issue. Behavior is important, but it's a secondary issue when it comes to this argument. By argument, I mean this understanding of how life really works. It's not the behavior that's issue, that, that is an issue. Behavior is merely the symptom of a much deeper problem that Paul wants to get at. And that problem is who or what are you and I trusting? So Paul calls us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But how do we do that? It's a really good question, especially since the language there is what we might sort of call a, a passive imperative, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, he didn't say, take the Holy Spirit and fill yourself with it. That, that, that's a regular old active imperative. This is a passive imperative. So, so how do you do that? One of the things to think about is the word filled may not be a helpful picture for us because when we hear filled, we think about filling a container with something, and then once it's full, we're done. And that is not how the Holy Spirit works. There is this continual filling of the Holy Spirit. So, really, it's more like a sail. You lift the sail, and then the wind begins to push the boat through the sail. And the wind is continuously pushing the sail. You're filled, but you're continuously being filled in order to, to, to move along. You can, And by the way, here you go. This is important to understand. You, you can't make the wind blow, but you can lift the sail, right? So the question then becomes, how do we lift our sail? H- how, do we, how do we open ourselves up to... The filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's several ways. Number one, last week we talked about the primary way. Relationship and trust with God and with others. Relationship and trust. Second, celebrate what God has done. Celebrate what God has done generally and celebrate what God has done specifically in your life. Friday morning, um, I had some, uh, what I thought were going to be some very challenging situations and Friday noon, I walked away from all of that, On Friday, and I just thought, I, I can't believe how God worked in the midst of all of those things. And I was, uh, I was able to celebrate God's work in a small way, and I was reminded of how wonderful He is. So the third way is to remember who He is and who you are and how much He loves you anyway. <laughs> That's the one that always gets me when I really... You know, when all the busyness of, of uh, life and the work and all that, and, and I'm alone, and I begin to think about, how, okay, I know who I really am. How does God love me anyway? That's an amazing thing. That's why it's called Amazing Grace. And, and, and here's the other thing. If you, uh, One scholar has written that if you were to sum up the, the Bible in one word, it would be very difficult to do, so you might have several that you would suggest One of the words that you and I would have to suggest would be remember. The Bible calls us all the time to remember, remember, remember. Remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done. Uh, Give thanks. Live a life of gratitude. That's one of Cody's big uh, drums that he beats all the time and and does well. well. Live a life of gratitude. Humble submission, of course. Not just submitting because you have to, but... Humbling yourself and being willing to lay down and submit. Press into your faith community. We've talked a lot about this lately. There is no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. You can't do Christianity alone. We are part of a body. And, and the language of the New Testament keeps talking about unity in spite of or because of our diversity. In other words in order to have unity, we have to be a part of something. We're going to be a part of something that, by definition, from God, through his giftedness, is going to be very diverse. You're going to run into people who are not like you and have different ways of thinking about things and different passions and different gifts, which means you're going to actually have to build relationship uh, in a very messy way sometimes. That's part of it. And, and, And literally, you're going to have to you're going to have to use your elbows. You're going to have to rub some elbows, and occasionally, guess what? We might even play like we're the San Antonio Spurs and throw an elbow or two. But that's part of it. Yes, my brother. San Antonio Spur right over there. Okay. Um, we need to read and meditate on Scripture. And as Paul says, we should keep a song in our heart no matter what our face feels like. <laughs> Look at verse 19. People get very weirded out by verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So we should walk around singing to each other? You know, singing and song is a major way that human beings communicate our most intimate and deeply held feelings and convictions. It's It's one of the ways that we do that. Lovers often communicate how they feel about each other through poem and lyric, no matter how bad the poem and lyric is. It's the thought that counts, Frank. (laughs) But we do. And specifically in Paul's context, think of the Psalms and their messages. The Psalms are the most emotional book in the Bible. Uh, The Psalms specifically of praise, thanksgiving, Submission, vulnerability, service, guidance, wisdom, and even psalms of rebuke and correction. Paul is not saying only communicate in song, and I'm thankful for that. But he is suggesting that it's a powerful way to communicate and that there should be a song in our heart. And if you're unsure about how important song is in in terms of uh, uh, God and creation... Think about in Genesis chapter 2, when, when Adam is put to sleep and God fashions the woman, his uh, Ezer connector, his reciprocating partner, uh, and, and he wakes Adam up and he brings the woman to Adam. And what is Adam's first response? It's not a cognitive response. If you look in your Bible, that verse where he responds and starts saying something is set off because it's... Hebrew poetry, he broke out into impromptu song when he saw Eve. Th- that he, he couldn't do it just by sort of line listing all of her wonderful attributes. He broke out into song. If I had the ability to please Jackie in this way, I would sing to her, but it pleases her most when I don't sing. No kidding, if there's a song on the radio when we're in the car and I start to sing along to it, she starts a conversation. It's just, it, it, just automatic response, okay? Um, but I can still use the words of Scripture to build her up, and I can have a song in my heart about her. I will tell you that when we first started dating, uh, one of the things I did, because I couldn't write a song, I couldn't sing a song, I'm not musically inclined, although I love music, um, there was a song that I wanted her to listen to that was kind of like how I felt about her. So I gave her a CD and said, listen to this track. It's a very important song to me, and you'll get it. And she did. And yes, it was a heart song, so deal with it, okay? <laughs> and, and here's uh, what I do, though. I, I love to give Jackie post-it notes and cards. I'll leave her post-it notes on the mirror, in the bathroom, wherever, on her steering wheel, in her car. I'll, I'll get her cards for, like, no reason at all. First Tuesday of the week get her Jackie a card. That's that's lyrical communication, if you think about it. It is. I like post-it notes. I also give post-it notes to Stephanie as well, but usually those post-it notes say something like, hey, can you get us some more snacks? (laughs) Very romantic. And then verse 21. Uh, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This verse is either a what we would call a swing verse that looks back at what he's just talked about and then begins our journey forward and sort of uh, covers what we're going to be talking about, or it is Paul's thesis for this passage going forward. It doesn't look back. It's actually Paul's thesis for this passage going forward. What I can tell you grammatically is that it is not a verse that only looks back. It is not a verse that only looks back. Uh, I believe, and, and just because I've studied it for years and years and years, it doesn't mean I'm right, but I believe, and most scholars that I've read uh, and have been exposed to also believe that it looks back and it looks forward. It's like a hinge verse. It kind of goes like this, Okay. And that verb submitting is a participle. It's an ing word, but it carries the weight of an imperative. So many of your translations, many of the Bible translations don't say submitting to one another. It just says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And really, once you get into the text, what you discover is that it shouldn't necessarily be worded as submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, but really it should be worded this way, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. That the reason we can submit is because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That he is king and he's the greatest submitter ever. He submitted to the cross. That he did that for us and therefore, by the power of the spirit and his resurrected self in us, we have the ability and wisdom to do it as well. Out of reverence for Christ, we submit to one another. This is the essence of repentance, by the way. Turning toward Jesus turning away from our old life and toward Jesus away from a life where we're trying to figure out how to get the world to submit to us and toward Jesus where we're trying to understand how to best submit to him and to others it's not it's not easy but it is repentance Tim Keller writes you can't bypass repentance and get to grace Christ is manifest in our humility not in our disobedience and there's a couple more things that I have about verse 21 that I want to talk about. And then we're going to wrap up with, with a, a like kind of an all-of-life interview that's very specific. Um, first of all, this verse does look back to verses 17 and 18, where Paul says that we should be living a life filled with and therefore under the influence of the Holy Spirit, seeking God's will and wisdom. People who live under the wisdom and direction of God's Holy Spirit we'll live a life of humble, joyful submission because that's what we're called to and empowered to do. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his wonderful book, Life Together, writes this. In regard to the church, the body of Christ, one of the first things we must do is let our expectations of one another die. Only then can we begin to find God as the source of our common life, a communion that only God can create and sustain through the power of his Spirit. But what's the human problem? The human problem is, and we're very good at not stating this out loud, but the human problem is really all of us want our lives to be lived top down. Our our uh, our idea of our life organizational chart is that we're on the top and everybody else is kind of subservient to us. Jesus calls us all, by character and example, to live our lives bottom up. And that includes in the church, that includes in marriage and in family. That includes in work. I know that's hard. We'll talk about that uh, in a few weeks. It includes with your friends, with your communities. It includes all that. Second of all, what Paul is doing here going forward these next several weeks, these next five weeks, is the Christian version of something that was very common for centuries in their culture. Instructions for how households were supposed to run. You read the ancient philosophers, all of them had a household code, and they were very uh, similar. For instance, Aristotle wrote about this concept of effective household codes some 400 years earlier. And interestingly, Paul's household code, so to speak, is virtually the same as Aristotle's, except one significant item. Paul calls for something that Aristotle does not. And that is mutual submission. And this turned everyone upside down when he wrote this. This was revolutionary and radical when he wrote this. In their context, the husband, the father, and the master had all the submission and subordination flowing to him and none flowing out. Craig Keener, who's a Ph.D. in New Testament studies, writes this. Paul goes beyond traditional ex- expectations by calling for mutual submission. And we're going to see over the next few weeks that Paul has some humble submission for the husband, the father, and the master to manifest as well. But listen carefully now. This is really important to understand. Okay, focus in right now. Because of context and relationship, His submission is going to look different than a wife's submission, than a child's submission, and a subordinate's submission. But he is nevertheless called to serve and submit in Christ. In other words, get this, write this down. Mutual does not mean same. Mutual is not a synonym for same here. There are different ways, because of context and relationship, that we're going to serve each other, and we need to understand that. For instance, here's just a taste. A father is still a parent, and parents are supposed to be in charge. Parents are not simply to fall over and do whatever their kids want. That's not submission. That's called stupidity. But parents, including fathers, you need to understand that in many ways, once you have children, your life gets put on hold for a couple of decades. That's just the way it is. You now have responsibilities, and part of that responsibility is to nurture your children as much or more than you nurture yourself. You are to do what Jesus did and carry that cross. Anyway, that's just a taste. Now, these next two weeks, we're specifically going to dive headlong into marriage. Paul's understanding of the relationship between Christ, the groom, and the church, his bride, and how, how that, uh, that relationship is manifest in marriage. So we're going to talk, I, I'm, I hesitate to do this because all the husbands will show up next week and then all the wives will show up the following week. But next week we're going to talk about wives and, next week, and then the following week we'll talk about husbands. But um, before we do that, we've got about 10 or 12 minutes. I, I want to also talk about something else that... If you've been around here for a number of years, you know that, uh, that I, I take this very seriously. It's very important, um, not just because of our context and because I think so, but in general. Um, R- Redemption Arcadia has uh, a wonderful demographic. Uh, lots of young families. Uh, we also have older, wiser people, which is wonderful. Um, we also have a lot of single people we we have more than our fair share of single people, and and one of the challenges in church in churches for many years I'd say decades is that um, not necessarily on purpose, um, but the church's messaging has at times, um, while exalting marriage as sort of a first class way of living, uh, by by implication sort of lowers the idea of living as a single person in Christ. And, and I find that sad and troubling. Tim Keller uh, addresses this head on. If you want a great book, on, it's the best book on marriage I've ever read. Not yet. <laughs> it's the best book I've ever read on marriage. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, he takes you through Everything he also, he and his wife Kathy also include in that book an entire chapter on singleness written toward married people or people who are about to get married so that they understand. It's not written for singles. It's written for us, the married people, so that we understand. And one of the things he writes in that chapter is this. We should be neither overly elated by getting married nor overly disappointed by not being so because Christ is the only spouse who can truly fulfill us, and God's family, the only family that will truly embrace us and satisfy us, I would add, um, should truly embrace us. And then Russell Moore writes this, if single people are deficient people, then we are following a deficient savior. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A number of years ago, when I was leading another church and living in a different part of Phoenix, Every Sunday morning when I would go out for my morning run, I ran by a church that was meeting in a high school, and so they'd put up their signs. And I remember um, every week I would run by, and their most prominent sign was, and here you go. I I don't want to sound like I'm bashing a church, but we got to think about our messaging, my brothers and sisters. Um, Their most prominent sign was, blah, 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 church, a great place for families. Think about that messaging. If you're single, are you going to be inclined to maybe go to that church? It's doubtful. Church is a great place for singles because your spouse is the church or supposed to be. So um, one of the people in our congregation, in our midst, who is single and has 37 years of experience at it, which I believe is coming to an end shortly, but at any rate... He has some experiences. Uh, Jonathan Ammon, he's one of our RC leaders, and I'm inviting him up to help talk a little bit about this. It got really quiet in here, Jonathan. It did, didn't it? Are, well, we, are we meddling? Everybody. Welcome, Jonathan, please.
0: Everybody, everybody. Thank going to use these here.
1: Are, they're fine. All right, thank you. Well, thank
0: you, Frank. It's a real pleasure being here, and thanks for calling out the fact that I've been single for 37 years.
1: Um, <laughs> And how many of those cards do you have?
0: There's there's four. Those actually.
1: graphs are unbelievable too. Wow. Should have them up. Yeah. I we probably should have used the no, chair. I just reali- I just remembered you're taller than me. I hate standing next to somebody who's taller than me. Wow.
0: You know, I was going to say my sister got the voice and I got the height, um, and so uh, maybe we can just sing together in the corner and no one will listen. That's about right. Sounds good. So tell us
1: a little bit more about who you are, how long you've been attending Mm -hmm. Redemption, what you do, and and how you serve at Redemption.
0: Sure. um, Well, I I came to Redemption after moving back here from Boston about three and a half, four years ago. Um, And uh, a lot of the work that I do with Frank occasionally is greeting, seeing me out there saying hello to people coming in. Uh, some prison ministry and some outreach, uh, along with the refugee focus when people are coming here. Uh, The RC that I'm very blessed and fortunate to lead. uh, We set them up a lot of times, cleaning apartments, making a nice space for everybody. And uh, that's that's pretty much how that's been. And for the last couple of years, really been involved with a really wonderful RC, made up about 14 to 24 people, Uh, We do a dinner every Wednesday. That's when we have twenty-four people. All the other times we have fourteen. So (laughs) (laughs) it's the way it goes, you know. Um, But it's a really—it's been a really wonderful thing. Uh, I'm an architect, and I'm a builder. My background's in construction, and that's what ultimately brought me back here. I started up my own gig about eight months ago, self-employed, small business, and just hacking it in the industry as hard as I can. So, all
1: right. So I've actually written um, these questions down. Mm -hmm. So if I could find them here now. Okay, here we go. Uh, As a single person. Tell us how well the community has worked for you the community here at redemption has worked for you and in what ways has the church been your family
0: that's uh, so no, that's a very good question um you know so i think when we look at what is being single in relation to what is being married um, is the fact that i think single people have a lot more flexibility and a lot more time um, now i'm not married so i don't know what that's like but i do know that it's very easy to be pretty selfish with my time and to be able to go do the things that i want to do and very fortunately after stumbling across redemption through a random conversation uh, that led me to want to know more about scripture and things like that, um, the opportunity to serve and the opportunity to be much more involved and be flexible with the times and ways in which I can be involved has led me to relationships with other people kind of of that similar nature and then tie into the RC. And so when it's such a good time to compare it to what we're looking at in Ephesians right now about not just what is the gospel, but how does the gospel transform our life? Like how does the gospel live out our life in becoming a family in which we're not born into. More so a family that's a family because we're Christ followers and we care for one another, push back on one another. Um, and to be in an environment where that is occurring, and not just as an RC leader, but as a member or someone that's here and getting to know people, there's this kind of constant input on um, my or our values and how they develop. So I'm a big believer that values uh, influence our decision. What I, what I value influences what I prioritize. What I value influences how I uh, live out my faith walk with Christ or listen to other people or accept positive and negative feedback um, and to see the ways in which other people do so from a singles community in the RC specifically how they pray, how they care for one another, how they push back on one another is this very positive constant barrage in the ways in which their values grow and then how they prioritize. So it's a nice spreading of the gospel and then in that we grow closer towards one another and its it's, it's been a nice witness to see that and that's what the church has provided.
1: And and your RC isn't necessarily just a singles RC, mostly singles, but you do have some married people there, right? Oh, absolutely, yes, yeah. that's correct. Okay, so, um, but it know, is so primarily
0: primarily singles. Single Prima- I have the twenty four, twenty five people. I think about seventeen, eighteen people, kind of in that kind of phase of their life.
1: Okay, great. Um, now Paul writes in in uh, First Corinthians seven, mm-hmm. in the midst of talking about marriage, he says, "I, I wish that everyone were as I am, single, mm-hmm. m- because." there is a sense in which you can serve a little bit better. Um, once you get married, your ministry is now to your spouse and your family, and that's really important. We're not discounting that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's your primary ministry once you get married for all of us, including myself. Um, but as a single person, you you do have more flexibility. I know that in the past with events, your RC is like so ready to jump on being able to help out and and tear stuff down kind of because... Um, you, you don't necessarily have to be at home at a certain time. So mm-hmm. I've seen that happen. So having said that, here's the next question. As a single person, what could the church think about in different ways or simply do a better job of? Uh, that's a good question, Frank.
0: Um, you know, there's, there's one point to make, and then there's one tension to identify. Um, the first is that I think it's important for the leadership and the community and the people in the church body um, to think more deeply about its messaging so as to not communicate to the singles that there's a deficiency in the fact that they're 30 and single, 37 and single, 45 and single. It's easy to look at friends and colleagues that are married and in that phase of life with children um, and at that that's like their happiness and that's like what you aspire to and what you arrive at. Um, and it's, it's very easy, as you said before I came up here, to kind of lift that up. Um, and just almost forget about everybody else so how do you engage in that and how do you communicate to that because when I started getting involved here and again very respectfully it wasn't the church leadership that was reaching out to say hey you're new here I understand you're single like what's you know what's what are you about what's your life about it actually became other people with whom were friends of mine that I grew into friends of mine reaching out and saying hey tell me a little bit more about yourself let's get to know each other and oh wow like you're a Christ follower." and, and, and growing in relationship to that. Now, that's a byproduct of a very excellent church, in my opinion, but that was also done through more of its parishioners than, say, the leadership. And again, I say that very respectfully. Um, I asked the question. Yeah, and
1: I, I want to hear this. Yes. Uh,
0: but when we identify the tension, and this is a really tough point, um, it's really easy to get faith-based answers to really tough questions that, well, the Bible says it, or this is what Jesus wants, and it really pushes you away. Um, there are some people here that are so well involved in the community and so well involved in being, being uh, working with the children, working with ministry, prison outreach, whatever. And their phase of life is to be single right now, um, but they don't want to be. You know, It's like you want to be in a relationship with someone with whom you're going to grow and grow closer to God. And by growing closer to God, you grow closer to one another, like an intimacy that many of us pray for that don't want to be single. And to be in that phase, it's really hard to hear, well, that's your season. That's the church is your community. The church is your family. And that's great. It's just also really, it's a tough pill to take.
1: Yeah. So um, I want to hit on this just a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk sometimes in terms of the gift of singleness, the Mm -hmm. spiritual gift of being single. Mm -hmm. Um, But what you're saying is that not every person who has that gift wants that gift, right? That's correct. And there's tension there. Lots. And as a church, we need to recognize that and understand that, and try to be more sensitive. There's going to be mistakes that, that are made, of course, but we need to be more sensitive to that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. <laughs>
0: That's a tough. It's a tough topic. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is because it's. I, I love seeing a church grow through family and through children, um, and to see uh, to see the gospel growing through um, the demonstration of how um, a husband submits to his wife and a wife submits to her husband through the lens of Christ and through the lens of God. I mean, that's such a beautiful notion, and I think it'd be great if a lot more of that happened around the world. Um, but, you know, on the same token, there's a lot of people out there that aren't in that, that want yeah. that, and
1: that's not a part of their life at this point. And you say this is a, this is a tough issue, but we we, we don't want to run from tough issues, and that's Absol- one of the reasons no. why I asked you to come up and share Absolutely. Uh, today. A- anything that you'd like to add? You know, after after the tension component, I think I'm, I'm pretty much tapped out here. Okay, right? good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Jonathan, I can't, I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you and, and your willingness to come up here. Um, uh, our lives have been intertwined somewhat. We've had some real wrestling, and, and you've always faced it with great courage and with the gospel as, as y- your guiding light, even when we fall short. And I, and I appreciate about that about you. And I thank you for taking time from your small business to think about these things in such a deep way and be able to share with us oh frank
0: it's my pleasure I honestly don't think that I would have taken the route I did in life had had I not met had I not stumbled across the church in a random conversation and 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 put faith as hard as I can at the center of my life just like the many of us are do and we all fall short a lot of times so uh, it's been a pleasure and it's been a blessing I thank you very much
1: thanks Jonathan could you thank Jonathan for coming up Verses um, 5.15 through 6.9, this long extended passage that we're going to take six weeks to look at is one of the most gospel-driven sections of the New Testament because it holds as its essential ethic and principle the submission and sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Verse 21, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. Let's grapple with that and hold on to that and, and focus on that these next five weeks as we move forward. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word and its truth, and I just pray that uh, your word is not sullied by our commentary and that your Holy Spirit would act as a filter and an illuminator to all truth, which is yours. God, we ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.